inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook. A show about accessibility. Advocacy. And equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. And we're two siblings who happen to be blind. Outlook. Radio Western. And welcome to the show. Brand new episode of Outlook. Back live in studio. My name's Brian, and I got Care in the studio as well, of course, as we're both the hosts of the show Outlook. How's it going today, Care? Good morning, everyone. Back on a Monday. It's summer, of course, now. Everybody's ex- excited about that. Yeah, you can feel the energy a little bit out there. and Yeah. Cooled off a little bit today compared to what it has been some of the last uh, few days here, but uh, it's uh, still pretty nice out and uh, final show of June here. So it's good to, we're halfway through the year already for for 2022 on Outlook, so. Yeah, and I was going to say happy Indigenous History Month still here in the month of June and uh, the Deafblind Awareness Month, as we talked about last week, Um, but it's also Pride Month and I guess the big celebrations were happening in Toronto again. A big, a big one again after pandemic. And uh, speaking of those pride parades and things, um, I heard that the one, at least, I don't know about in Toronto, but I think definitely in British Columbia, they had one, uh, the pride parade was audio described. So audio description being uh, any, any of the vigils of something being described for somebody who can't see them. So that could be a you know a play or a parade, and so I heard in at the Pride Parade in BC they were having audio description. So I don't I hope that was happening here in Ontario. Yeah, I didn't well. hear about the Toronto one at all if there was description or not mm-hmm. um, for that one. But nice to see that they are starting to do that more and more, and hopefully uh, that there if there isn't yet that there should be uh, in future ones here in Ontario as well. Yeah. Uh, speaking of BC, uh, our guest today, we're back with a guest in the studio. Yeah, I guess we've had a couple of shows with just the two of us. You were stuck with just us, which is fun for a couple of weeks, but it's nice to ha- have a guest here today because, you know, Carrie's my sister. I, I do I do get a lot of time with her, but it's nice to have a third person in the discussion to mix it up, to mix it up a bit for sure. Yeah, so our guest today is Kyla Berry from British Columbia from v- Victoria on Vancouver Island. Um, thank you, Kyla, for coming on Outlook today. Oh, you're welcome. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, so we actually connected with you recently. Um, this is this just this year. Carrie and I were hosting a virtual Canadian Federation of the Blind convention, and uh, we hadn't come across you at a previous. I mean, we haven't been involved that long, only the past five years or so. Um, but it was nice. Uh, you asked a couple of questions actually after our Outlook presentation, and we really appreciated that because you, you know, you always leave a time for questions at the end of those those presentations, and sometimes it's not that everyone needs to ask something, but it sometimes is a little bit of an awkward silence. Like, oh, does anyone have anything they want to contribute or ask or anything they want to say? So it was nice to hear you uh, speak up there and, and have some some thoughts on uh, our presentation. Well, a new voice and someone we hadn't really seen before, at least we hadn't. That's correct. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm just uh, getting over a, an illness here, uh, so I do apologize. My voice is froggy. Um, anyway, uh, yes, uh, I did manage to attend uh, the virtual Canadian Federation of the Blind, and um, I have uh, been involved with them previously, but um, 
had uh, been uh, engaged in my um, studies at the University of Victoria completing. I've just completed a master's in counseling psychology, which is why my questions and and contributions uh, were all about blindness and vision loss and mental health. Um, So as I just said, I I had my um, convocation recently. it's graduation season, and I was very proud to actually lead my procession on my graduation day uh, behind the marshal, walking tall with my long white cane and, uh, you know, going down through all the auditorium stairs and onto the stage without any um, tripping or, or anything. And it, it just it worked out really great. Um, I, w- I thought that was very progressive of my university to uh, have that I was shocked, actually. I didn't know right up until the last minute that that was their uh, intention. So, um, so yeah, I got to celebrate my all my eight years of hard work um, doing my master's in counseling. And, yeah, my interests have um, ranged from... I did my practicum with uh, persons who um, had uh, suffered a traumatic brain injury. Um and I, I really enjoyed that work. Uh, I did a lot of group facilitation around what it's like to um, to sort of figure out what your life is, um, what the new normal will be post-injury. Um, so it was a psychoeducational course. And then I also did one-to-one counseling. Um, and there were some uh, opportunities to, to work with people who experienced uh, dramatic changes in vision post post injury so now that I'm finished yeah I'm turning my my um, thoughts towards uh, finding paid counseling work and and definitely thinking about um, that need that is in place for counseling services for for the blind and low vision community yeah and we were talking all about some of this when we talked to you last week uh, but we'd heard about what your background was sort of was in at the convention there. And so uh, we had a good discussion about that, which we're going to get into this hour. Um, that was a lot. And it's great to hear that they let you sort of lead things at the graduation and convocation. That's obviously going on around this time. And so um, just to see, um, so, you know, scenes like that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely that time of year, especially here, even at Western University. I imagine you know most people have some people in summer summer courses and stuff now here, but a lot of people have already cleared out, cleared out, graduated. graduated. Um, you know, either finished their year or actually graduated their programs and maybe have moved on now. But you know, well wishes to everyone out there. But it also it also reminded me when you were talking. Yeah, we actually had a little pre-interview discussion, more of a discussion with with Kyla last week, which. We don't always do with guests, but it is kind of nice to do just to kind of get to know somebody, especially like someone like you who we didn't know, you know, before a couple of months ago. Yeah. Yeah, So it just gives that personal sort of touch and you get to know the person a bit more before going on uh, on on air live. And I think um, it made me think of my graduation where I actually did have um, a guide help me. And I can't even recall now if if they were with me walking across the stage or if, if I was on my own with the cane and they just helped me to get to the stage. I can't quite remember. Um, but I thought that's I interesting. Like, you you brought that up, and the fact yeah. that it 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 was like a the first thing that you were kind of right at the front and and getting it done, you know, right away. It sounds like they really did take into account your your situation well, there and made you that. yeah fit in and it really. It was more that I was leading the procession. I I didn't want they they asked <clears throat> excuse me if I wanted to um to just you know ar- arrive ahead of time and just be on the stage and I know I want to do the whole thing right so um, I led the procession and then obviously there was the the, the 
um, ceremony unfolded as it as it did, and there were a number of um, other recipients of degrees ahead of me, uh, but um, there was a, a a guide to sort of yeah tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, it's your time to go. Right. So um, right, for the most part, quiet. I was able to do it completely independent, but I had um, I had a lot of help uh, from the marshals and the guide um, prior to the ceremony, so everything would go smoothly. Well, it's like it's like rehearsing for like wedding rehearsals. Like graduation rehearsals seem, I don't know if that's done commonly, or like how much practice you got I in asked, before. I asked for a sort of a dry run just because yeah. the theater is... Um, it slopes down, and there's. A, I needed to know the um, layout of the stairs right. specifically. Um, so I am. Uh, I call myself blind, but I have. I am limited vision, and <clears throat> I am lucky enough to still see colors, and shapes, and faces up close. But um, so I've been blind since birth. I have a genetic condition that's fairly rare um it's autosomal dominant and there's a one in 25 chance so one in four um chance that any siblings i had could also have had the condition my my parents uh stopped after two children i have a sister who is completely able-bodied um but i um i have the experience of being both congenital and um losing sight later in life at 28 i had glaucoma which destroyed all the light sensing cells in my right eye which was the weaker of the two eyes fortunately and um while that was very scary to go through um it you know it it brought some changes and and made me um sort of think about this idea of vision being on a spectrum I and and also the differences between children who grow up being blind and and having to adapt their whole life and people who have to adjust after a traumatic loss Mm -hmm. so I've had to do both um in the middle of my uh so when I was 28 I I had the initial loss of vision um but the natural eye was still intact but that didn't last um, too much longer after that. I <clears throat> I had another glaucoma attack and another condition that caused the cornea to deteriorate to the point where the natural eye was going to be unviable. And I was in a lot of pain and obviously scared out of my mind. Um, and um, the surgeons don't always help with that, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> yeah, so funny. You actually brought that up last week, and I was going to mention it, but I'll, so I'll mention it now, is that it really reminded me of the doctor that removed my left eye. And uh, so he was a surgeon, and he was an old guy. Like, he was old when I, you know, had him do the surgery in 97. But he was just a very matter of fact. He'd just come in, okay, yep, and he'd flip, like, your eye. Like, he was just so oh i know matter of fact about it and he 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 was like we had a whole thing with him because it was just it was such a different bedside manner than you get in a lot of situations completely uh when i first met the the fellow that would um be referring me on he said oh that looks painful you're gonna lose the eye like those are the first two words out of his mouth but not hi i'm doctor so and so like some, I, um, just some ex, some uh, somebody walking down the hall just giving and, and their And these opinion. things, these examples right away off off the bat here, 
do illustrate what we're going to get into in, in greater detail or through discussion today is this the whole psychology and, and mental um, health and all the things that go behind all of these procedures and all these things that we've all experienced in some way or another, especially the, all of us here. I mean, um, another thing we can talk about too is is, is artificial eyes, if, if you're interested in touching on that a bit, because I do think it's yes. interesting because Carrie, yes. you mentioned having your eye removed and some listeners might just kind of be like, whoa, but yeah. it, it, these examples right it off- It sounds like a, like a Halloween they, trick. They really do show how things are so, can be so medical, medically based and science based or very, you know, you know, technical, but as far as like the psychological sort of connecting with patients and stuff and how, how important that is to go along with, with these procedures or else people are often left with, you know, all of these feelings that aren't really addressed. And I think these are, these are They're areas not. that aren't talked about a, a, enough. So I thought, thought the fact that you, you did study counseling there and, and graduated and that's what you're looking into is, is great for this show. Cause it's an area we want to touch on more. Yeah, for sure. And <clears throat> I, I wanted to just address the fact that my my own studies were interrupted by this medical emergency, and um, and I did actually have to go through the um, the eye removal. Well, actually, it, it's an evisceration, so it's not a complete removal, but it's it was. Yeah, I think too, that word's new to me. That word. Yeah, what it means is um, the inner organs <laughs> of the globe of your eye. You have some medical students maybe listening. Who knows? Removed. um, And the implant is surgically put inside what used to be your globe of your eye so that it gives it the shape. And and it allows the muscle attachments to stay intact. My prosthetic is kind of like a hard contact lens that fits over the top of this implant like a shell. And it's made of acrylic and I've been told that uh, when I work with clients um, and I've even sort of seen this, they focus a lot more on my prosthesis. Um, they think that's the natural eye, uh, the functional eye, when in fact it's not. Um, so, and sometimes I have to turn my head <clears throat> because my midline has, has changed. I don't have both eyes to see out of. Um, I have to sort of l- offset, sort of, li- I, it looks like I'm, turned to the side a bit to the to the right when really I'm actually lining a person up in my what's left of my entire field of vision mm-hmm. um yeah I would always show people like can you point out where something is and we were like when I used to see more and we were sightseeing and, and you know a family member or somebody would point me in that direction but for me it would be quite a little bit off from what they were, where they were <laughs> showing and it's hard to sort of relay that to somebody sometimes yeah, you have to finesse it a little bit. Um, but a, as for, Good you know, I, um, I kind of had a lot of emotions around this um, traumatic loss, um, I would say. And I didn't, I kind of just worked through them independently. I, I was lucky enough to, to go and see. So the surgeon didn't have the greatest bedside manner, as we've talked about. Um, I was lucky that my optometrist, um, who had done all the testing uh, since I was younger, um, he reassured me that the procedure wasn't going to be as terrible or as scary uh, as um, I imagined, and and that you know it would be a blessing to have the pain uh, be gone. Yeah, you know, I I I always I always say that one for me was my least painful surgery that I had, and I had obviously surgery for my back. (laughs) <laughs> you know, orthopedics and then, my, you know, for transplant, abdominal scarring and stuff. But, you know, 
it was a whole different thing, but it was like awkward, but it wasn't painful, painful, but that's my experience. I was curious. Yeah. If yours was. Yeah. No, for me, it was the pain within the eye itself. So the reassurance that that pain from the cornea falling apart, that would all go away. I would describe it like if you've ever been to the beach and you accidentally get sand in your eye Mm -hmm. and it's gritty, (laughs) it's like that. Well, it was a persistent feeling of grit and scratchy and it would not go away and it it just got worse as the the eye um, continued to deteriorate so um i i was feeling loads better once i had the surgery the the optometrist was completely correct um and i and i did find reassurance um from a website from the it was put out by an american i believe it's called LostEye.com, <sighs> and they had some fun um little graphics there little emojis of smiley faces with eye patches um which reassured me because for the first you know, six to eight weeks, um, I had to um, wait for the um, the eye to heal before I could get a prosthesis. So my mom ordered a fun eye patch for me, uh, which was sparkly blue. And, you know, I wore that over Christmas and um, for the duration, at least of um, January until I uh, got my prosthetic. And I just, it helped me feel so much better about myself cosmetically and um and then once you know it was it just i don't know it made a difference it made just what this person had written on the website made the um the prospect of going through an eye surgery uh to remove an entire organ less scary um yeah yeah, it's something to gain from that and of course then it you know it becomes you know, cosmetic and it's a prosthetic, just like artificial limbs of other kinds. And so it's like the thing these days about a lot of blind people are getting it. I don't know if you've heard about this, Kyla, different colored canes. Usually use what was sort of red and white was the standard. These days people are really identifying through these things that give them freedom and give them, you know, uh, you know, uh, yeah. sa- safety it's from the accessory. pain or yeah an accessory it becomes a accessory yeah and it's a yeah. way to make things kind of cool like you're going through this this right. sort of diff- obviously a difficult process to 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 lose an eye like that but to be able to ha- sort of express yourself and and have a have a patch or something to wear that makes it look kind of cool and stuff like that and you can you, you can use that to your advantage and, and and that is the way to always try and look at things the best you can in life is to try to turn a difficult situation into something and it's really neat that they have that that you came across that website but i just think it's such an interesting discussion cuz here for me you know, we've talked about this a bunch on the show here, but I've, I was born blind, but I've, my sight's always been the same. I have a bit of light perception, light and dark, but that's it. But both of you here, Carrie and Kyla, who we have calling in today from Victoria, British Columbia, uh, you guys have both, or you've both lost your, your eyes and had, and had artificial eyes. And I'm just curious kind of for both of you, what that experience is in the sense, like Carrie, you say it's not maybe for you, obviously everyone's experience is different, but wasn't quite the same as, as other surgeries as far as the pain, but just the idea of losing losing an eye is is just the the whole idea of that I think would be would be hard to deal with and I don't know it's it's I just haven't come from that situation so it's hey, really interesting to get that perspective on the show and and talk more about these things because I don't know how many people even think about artif- artificial eyes or you know unless it comes up in a, like a, a sitcom there's maybe a joke about art- someone having artificial eye maybe thrown in somewhere in the media somewhere right really I don't think it gets known much other over that. But like aside from the actual the pain and the procedure itself, like the whole actual just having to face the fact that you you're 
one of your eyes is being taken taken away. Like yeah, I, I guess I guess you start from the bottom the bottom with how you know how squeamish are you about things when it's happening to you. You don't really have a choice, right? But it's still different people. Uh, deal with that part of it differently and as I said it becomes cosmetic so it has to do with your own um, feelings about yourself uh, so yeah I don't know I've had some ups and downs with it where there's been some shame and some other things and uh, I don't like to do much with it I like to leave it where it is and and you know every 10 years you get a new one or something but for you was there shame or was it more just oh no pushing I through? was quite uh, well um there was no shame component about receiving the prosthetic. I was actually quite relieved and pleased. And and my mom, uh, when, when she came into the office after it was done, um, she cried. She was so happy. And I kind of, it, if you've ever seen um, a, a, a TV show called you know, when you get an extreme makeover, right? right. I, I kind right. of likened it to um, extreme makeover eyeball edition. Right. So my mom just, she cried. She was so happy that it looked they really could have done so reality. natural. I think they could do a reality uh, show about that. They could. Um, it looked so natural and it, it, it and, and actually it looked much better than my natural eye. It was, it was the weaker and smaller of the two eyes. And, and so I look more symmetrical now. Um, so there is definitely no shame about wearing the prosthetic, having the prosthetic. And if I don't identify that I have one, 90% of the time people don't notice. Um, the emotional difficulty for me, yes, I did go through that. Because um, you were quite a bit older than I was when I got mine. Uh, so you're going to yeah. be different. But like I said, I've had it since then. So I've gone through a lot of different levels of emotion yes. with it. Yes, and so I think perhaps being in the counseling program allowed me to process what my yeah, feelings were a little bit better. Right there, you're always thinking about it. <laughs> um, not that I'm any expert. Uh, obviously, we we can't always be objective um, when, when it comes to our too, own yeah. internal yeah. Um, feelings um, or experiences. But um, I had a lot of support from my professors uh, at university, and um, they were just. Uh, impressed at how I bounced back um, and was able to um, go back to doing my um, clinical work with after the um, six weeks, eight weeks of uh, convalescence. But I think the thing is, is yeah, I, I did have to grapple with what it was like to lose lose the whole organ or most of the organ, even though it's intact. Um, as far as the structure is concerned and the muscle attachments, it's not a living, seeing, natural eye anymore. And so you do feel a, a sense of loss. Yeah. And um, and I had a hard transition. I think it was most difficult when I had my first glaucoma um, experience, um, having to have the laser surgery and that um you know when i when it was a crisis it happened six months before <laughs> i joined the counseling program and um mm. i i the way i dealt with it was okay let's get this emergency dealt with i didn't even tell my family that it had happened until after i'd gone through the the laser surgeries um I called my mom and I'm going, yeah, so I, this is what happened to me. <laughs> and and she's like, what? Why didn't you tell me? Oh. And I'm going, well, I just wanted to deal with it by myself. I just, there was no reason for you to hop on a ferry and come right out. I mean, when I was 
having the larger surgery that was different um but it was it was something that needed it was like i didn't have any time to um to make any decisions like that they they i went to a regular ophthalmologist uh office and to have it checked and they're like nope something's wrong you gotta go somewhere else right away put you in a cab so um it it was all kind of very yeah it was in the moment very emergent Uh um there was there was no um room for to really process it until after after i'd had the the um, treatments to try to stabilize um, the eye um, and then learn that there would be no vision at all left. So that winter um, when I had joined the counseling program, this was winter of 2013, that was quite difficult for me because... Um, were you living on your own or were you living on I, campus? Yes, I was um, living independently. Well, I was actually living with a partner at the time and um we were in a small apartment not too far away from the campus and we have a cat and but um it was more about um i had to adjust how i moved in intern in indoor spaces i walk quite quickly and Mm. so i found that i walk into things more readily doors um uh, particularly um or or other obstacles sticking out uh, counters like at, at um, Starbucks, <laughs> um, you know those things that are sort of at shoulder height where you go and pick up your coffee, um, mm. or um, and also I broke a lot of crockery. Unfortunately, so at this, at this stage, were you using a weight cane or no? Oh yes, I was okay. already using a weight cane. Yeah, um, um, I had done so for many years since right. since I moved out and went to university independently I was using the the long white cane okay so um, then you were yeah because it's, you know, but I didn't use it in internal spaces so much oh okay so and um I found that when I was reaching for mugs teapots um saucers yeah well you don't always notice everything around you as you do that one motion and well actually i i was off in my aim when i was reaching and Mm, so it was when the cup i was reaching for was it was the one once i grabbed a mug that was fine but it was the it was the item next to it that often suffered (laughs) falling out of the cupboard once i put cupboard liners in so that the mugs and teapots didn't fall that made life a lot okay, easier. So but little tricks like that. And it, well, but, it, it but just it is interesting to much. think about how, how different that is because, you know, for, like I said, for my situation, I've always had the same amount of vision. So I kind of... No fluctuation. It's, yeah, it's no fluctuation. So, you know, those types of techniques I would have just sort of picked up early on. And it's not to say, of course, I've actually ran into a pole recently. Well, I was just, yeah, I was so, comparing speeds. But. Of course, of course, you know, Anyone oh, can anyone can run into anything, no matter what how many much training you've had. But I can't ima- like I can only imagine what that would be like to go all your life, and then yeah, just something as simple as reaching for something in the cupboard where when you're not you can't see and you're not focusing necessarily, you're not thinking about everything that might be around you it. Know and you know it's always there, and then you go to grab it, and yeah, yeah. it's not that, quite that, where you thought maybe it was without having that extra assurance of looking when you when you're searching for something. I think more than anything, it, yes, the crockery was a bit tragic, but you get over it. You <laughs> yeah. can replace small teapots. Um, but it was hard to um, have to adjust my way of moving in the world, to slow down, 
um, so that I wouldn't um, walk into things quite at such a gallop. And it's also um, the fact that, say that is the way you're used to traveling, and I'm not sure how you've adapted with that, but it's kind of like, you know, you maybe just have to step back a little bit and try and 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 maybe slow down a little bit until you can build up more skills and then start to speed up I again because it's right and that's the way it is with this stuff right it's not like we have to totally change the way we are if we do end up losing our vision it's more that we have to adjust to it give us some time to sort of make that adjustment and then we can you know hopefully get back to the way we were before in many ways and if if we do like traveling fast you know we should be able to get that back up to that but it it sometimes I think it takes the uh, the mind a bit of a, a learning experience to kind of be like whoa I gotta sort okay. of you're, go- you're on a bit of a ride yeah I'm going through something here I have to actually take this serious and of course we're in our society it's all about like oh fight through it and and get to the other I side did. and all this and and that's all that's yeah. all great and everything right it's great that we do that but did, at the same yeah. point in the moment we also have to acknowledge that this isn't always isn't always that easy every day and but we like do have Carla to said it's hard to be impartial about your own situation when you're in it it's a perspective thing very true and what I found was, so um, I started my counseling program and I wanted to be just like the rest of my cohort. I took a full course load. <laughs> yeah, and we're going to get all into the school topic yeah, that's exactly, in the second half because Brian has a lot to say about that as well. That's exactly how I felt in that situation as well about starting school and just wanting to do everything the way everyone else was and not having any sort of a limitation. Um, so yeah, we will get into Kyla and your, and your school experience in a lot more detail after the break. You are listening to Outlook here today on Radio Western, and we'll be right back. Outlook. On Radio Western. And yes, that's us, and we're back again this Monday morning, final show of June, talking with our friend here, Kyla Berry from Victoria, British Columbia. Yes, welcome again to the show, Kyla. Thanks, thanks again for for getting up early on a on a Monday morning. Being in uh, Ontario here, it's you know getting people from Pacific time zone is uh, you know it's 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 early to get up and, and be uh, be live on on the radio. So we do appreciate you coming on live today. Oh, my pleasure. And we were talking before um, about the condition and what led to your getting an, um, your one eye removed an artificial eye there just kind of like our stories kind of mirroring each other in certain ways um but we wanted to hear more about schooling because you just completed a a master's in counseling or psychology right that is correct counseling uh from the university of victoria right so did you always want to be something like that or how did that how did you get to victoria um, okay university of victoria Um, there well i i did not always have aspirations to become a counselor um I was a very normal, uh, very visual little girl. Um, when I was uh, about five or six, I was obsessed with jellyfish, and I, oh, my I was parents gonna get to the marine biology thing. Definitely. That's right. So um, I am the product of two parents with marine biology backgrounds from Simon Fraser University. And we would spend hours at the beach. We'd, we would go to the ocean and catch little shiners with um, hand lines so you could really feel the fish um, mm. tugging on the bait and then be able to pull them up. Um, and I always like to put my hands in the bucket and feel all the fish. And then my dad, I must have been five or six when he scooped up a, a jellyfish and put it in my hands for the first time. And I just thought the slipperiness of it, it was just so cool and so foreign 
And then to be able to see these things up close in an aquarium and see how beautiful they are, um, the moon jellies and the water jellies. And, you know, I was a very, um, uh, yeah, I, I was a girl who um, would go to the library constantly and my mom and I would be taking out university textbooks on jellyfish and okay. <laughs> had five or six and I'd be learning all about the Latin names of jellyfish and painting finger paintings with jellyfish and just be absolutely obsessed with them. So I wanted to be a marine biologist when I was tiny, tiny. I don't know, and, if, you ever saw, but, I don't know if you ever watched The Simpsons, that show over the years. The, the town on Springfield on that show, they have a jellyfish festival. <laughs> Oh, I must look that episode up. You should up. check um, that, that scene out. It's like the beginning that of an would episode. Be fantastic. That's where Ned Flanders meets his new girlfriend. Yeah, it's just funny. Oh, okay. Oh, I want that You know what? I think I must have seen the episode, but it probably just went over my head. Oh, it was years ago. Head. It was like 20 years ago, probably. Anyway, um, but, yeah, so I love that. as... As I progressed through high school, um, it became readily apparent that biology wasn't going to be an accessible profession for me. And mm. my parents, who had worked in the biology field, had worked for um, federal fisheries, said, you know, the pay is crummy, you do a lot of hard work, it's dirty work, you're, you're not going to get the cushy jobs being an aquarist at an aquarium right away. You know, if you have to do field work, it's, it's going to be really, really difficult for you to find something I just had to quick That's jump in on this because I, I, somebody that we actually wanted to try to track down to have on the show once. Now, this person, I, again, it's hard to always know we talk about a spectrum of vision, but yeah. there was somebody at uh, who spoke at a convention, uh, I think last year or the year before. Some conference, I don't remember which. I think it was the NFB, one of the NFB conventions in the U.S. But anyway, um, either way, it was, a, it was a, a marine biologist with low vision. So I don't know how she accomplished it and, and, you know, she talked a lot about the the whole situation. And again, it, I'm not sure how much vision she had, but it just is, is that idea sometimes that we do wonder, like, are these things not possible or, but also like you say, it is, it, it's also sort of balancing, like, is it worth the, in that situation, is it worth all you'd go through for the, for the amount of pay and, and, and the way that the job actually is, is it, would it be worth it? Yeah. Life's about but, choices. So I'm not, you know, I'm just, I, it just struck me by surprise when I, when I, heard that person speak and was like, wow. And it's, we talk about it in our own community too. It's hard to sometimes imagine how we could even do this as people who live as blind people. So I don't know, I said, but these, thought I wanted to mention that. These certain cases are so rare, these scientists yeah. or whatever, then you start to think it can't really be possible. It's like the one in a million shot and it not, can't be like that. It, it's level education. This one I was curious about your um, road to the university there. Yeah, so um, I did get my experience volunteering with the aquarium I, I mm -hmm. did um, right I did fulfill that passion um you I just find out another way of doing it. things yeah exactly I just didn't pursue it in a in a professional capacity mm -hmm. and I knew like after doing you know my high school biology courses that um, microscopes are not my friend mm -hmm. unless I'm using a beautiful big um, thousands of dollars video micro, uh, video microscope um, and dissection is not easy uh, for me they don't want to give me a scalpel um, so um, and, and so I didn't other than doing my first year level biology courses at, at University of Victoria for my psychology degree I chose uh, fairly quickly to move on to the study of human behavior and so I did my undergrad at UVic uh, and I chose UVic because I wanted a smaller campus. I wanted right. the chance to move away from home and live in a dormitory situation. Um, and I wanted um, 
to put a little bit of distance between myself and and the mainland um i also there i won't lie there was a boyfriend that was drawing me to the university at the time obviously that never panned out permanently but um that was one of my reasons for going over to yes. Vancouver Island. A lot of the same reasons that any some young person might have, I'm sure. Yeah, and I have to say it was a good choice. The campus was, it is beautiful. It's self-contained within a, a ring, a central ring road. And all the buildings are on the inside and sort of arranged within that ring road space. Um, and there are parking lots on the outside. And, and actually the cars go one way around the ring. So it's a predictable direction. Um, and there are obviously crosswalks at, at various intervals around the ring. So I got to know the campus quite well. I, I moved to Victoria in 2004 for my um, undergraduate degree in psychology. And I basically never left. Mm. Um, so I, I completed my psych degree. And then I, um, I worked for a little bit um, for an organization on campus. And then... Then I decided to go back to um, do my master's after that job ended. Um, and I was fortunate enough to get into the um, Master's of Counseling at UVic. It's in the Educational Psychology and Leadership Studies um, Department. Mm-hmm. And um, they took me on within the, like, a lot. I've heard that it's really hard to get into. Um, some applicants don't get in on their first try. But I was very um, fortunate to be successful and to be chosen in my first go um, because the cohorts are so small. Mm. My year that I started in 2013, there was only 10 of us in a cohort, which is can be unusual. It ranges from 8 to 14 people per year. Um, and we're very fortunate to, it's such a small department that there's a, quite a lot of chance to... Um, to get individual attention uh, sometimes from professors if you need it, like like okay. I did, and um, to build. I was going to ask about yeah. I was going to ask about accessible. If you found it very accessible, or like for people easier to um, communicate what you needed with there. And the other thing I'd like to chime in on about that would be yeah. the fact that that since you started your your <coughs> post secondary schooling up until the end your your vision did get worse throughout that that timing is that correct so i think adjusting to that along with you know all the stress that goes along with school like how did you find that and, and tying into the accessibility of the program also would you know helps okay. with that as well so how would you find that whole experience overall was was for you adjusting with the, with losing more more vision along with adapting to school and keeping up with all of that at the same time and and how was that Right. So that that sounds like it's a two-part question. First of all, I want to say and and commend my department for for really um, working very hard to to be inclusive and to um, to give me um, the extra time that I needed to complete all the all the requirements and all the work. Um, I started with a full course load, just like my cohort members. Um, even though I'd suffered that loss um, six months prior. And it was a slog. I had, um, yeah, it was difficult um, to keep up. Um, There were some courses that were um, more energy and and also just more, um, 
more daunting for me than others. Um, I should have, in hindsight, dropped um, the assessment in counseling course. Um, that term, when I first started, I did, did go through and and basically, or I should have audited the course um, and then taken it again later in my um, program um, because that having that extra course, that fourth course was just too much. Um, and I was, I had a hard time keeping up with all the workload and I had to sort of cherry pick and figure out what I could get through and what needed to be um, postponed. And I was very lucky that the um, chair of my department and the instructors allowed me to, to defer um, work on certain courses to um, allow me to yeah, um, cope a little easier. Um, I decided to uh, take a full year of just practicum um, to allow me to get the full experience on a practicum site working with people with um, acquired brain injuries. Um, and <laughs> it ended up being kind of split over two years because of the hiatus I took in the middle when I was healing from um, eye surgery, but it worked out okay um, in the end. I think that's the thing is I was lucky to have instructors that understood that I was going through medical challenges, understood that I was an articulate um, per, uh, student, that my writing quality was very high. I achieved, you know, A's, A minuses, and and even A pluses in some courses. So the quality of my work was never in question. It was just they needed to find a way to accommodate those challenges of um, of workload um, and balancing the practical with the academic. And I would wonder um, too. I would think maybe the fact that it is a, a psychology counseling program that they would be a little bit more understanding to, to the needs of somebody were, than other programs might be. Brilliant. So that yeah, also there, is an interesting. There are some teachers that certainly stand out that were, were definitely um, champions. Um, and I did um, opt to take certain courses over again, um, as I said. Uh, so that happened a number. Of, it took me eight years yeah. to do the degree in total. Um, and I got a number of deferrals and I had to keep um, getting letters from the Dean of Graduate Studies to mm -hmm. extend my um, my time uh, as a student. Um, I didn't realize that they had a time limit for, for master's. I thought you got the same as a PhD to the seven years, mm -hmm. uh, but actually it was only five. <laughs> and and I think I would recommend to the university, um, I, I, I did end up sitting on other committees about um, um, access and accommodations and um, university policy. So you were active on your campus. Yeah, even doing I that was, on, on top of everything else is another thing that I was. I was, I was less active um, while I was in the middle of a counseling degree, but I still tried to sit on committees where I could. And I'm hoping now as an alumnus, I can um, continue to contribute in that way. Mm -hmm. But I think that um, policy for master's students with disabilities and especially ones who go through medical challenges in the middle of their program, mm -hmm. um, they need to um, extend it to seven years, make it um, this the equivalent of getting a PhD. Um, now, I and I never. Um, there's obviously um, ways that you can um, take 
time, I mean, a leave of absence, time off. And I ever did that. Mm-hmm. Um, the six weeks that it took me to recover from my, um, my surgery, um, the doctors all said that you didn't need a leave of absence for that. It was going to be a shorter recovery. Um, so, and just the way the courses worked out, it, it, it wasn't going to serve me um, to take a four month leave of absence. So I just, I, I managed to get through and, and worked around the system with the, um, deferrals and, um, extensions by the, the Dean. And I managed to, yeah, complete all my, my courses with, um, pretty high grades. Um, so, um, the biggest, thank you. The biggest challenge for me was, it's lining up a practical um, placement. Um, I think that was the one failing of the department. And and I don't mean to be uncharitable here, but the person who was the coordinator at the time didn't understand my needs and didn't understand what I was trying to get to. Like, so you're, you're six months or uh, in, in initial placement, your short-term practicum kind of is supposed to set you up for your longer-term placement. And and many mm-hmm. of my peers had actually, they move on to work for the organizations that take them on as practicum um, okay. students. So um, unfortunately, um, I was, mm, I had a hard time finding an initial placement and um, it, <laughs> What was difficult was I had to accept a placement I was not entirely enamored with. Um, I told them up front I didn't want to work with children right away. Um, Mm. But that's where I ended up working was with um, children with ADHD and other um, learning disabilities um, and doing psychoeducation groups. And and that ended up being fun. But um, I'm sure. But yeah, high energy, but a lot to 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 follow and... Yeah, exactly. And I told them I wasn't comfortable with that, but but it was either take this placement or not have a placement. Yes, yeah, in a way. And not that it's not uh, that it's a good a good thing, but at the same point, it is nice to at least to see that the program did offer some form of placement because I think that is sometimes the thing with well, a lot of these programs that don't have any anything like that, and you are difficult. just difficult. Um, it's difficult and competitive, and yeah. there aren't enough. Um, agencies taking on practical students and I think South that Lake was the, Island. That, that was a big issue you think even with with the music program I, I was in where I wish they would do that but the thing is it is such a competitive area and there's just there's only so many spots to be able to fit someone in and to be able to get someone in working in those those you know very fast-paced environments yeah, it's, it's hard to everybody's just, in a hurry to get 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 going there's comp- competition and there. it's because we are all at different levels and we learn in different areas so it's hard to kind of just throw someone in certain placements without having the, the well, best fit so what I would what I would say about that is, um, yes, it's competitive, um, but really this placement did not set me up for my second, my long practicum, um, unfortunately. Yeah, it's um, not as much thinking it, ahead. And, and right, so you got something in the moment, my, but it wasn't really. Well, I didn't, I didn't get the supervision and the experience that right. I needed right. to, sh- to show that I would be qualified to, um, to be a, a practical student within UVic Counseling Services. That's what I really wanted. I mean, I got the interview, but... Um, Again, they. I was up against other um, candidates from my department, and also candidates that did self-identify as a person with disabilities, but but they were invisible and very minor compared to mine. And mm-hmm. um, 
the staff that interviewed me felt that um, that I would need too much extra supervision, which is completely yeah. untrue. And that's still a common a thing that. with a lot of blindness. And the department when you're- itself, the teaching aid assistants and um, professors would have been happy to put in any, you know, accommodate any extra supervision they felt that I needed could have come from directly from the department. Um, I was devastated to not uh, get that placement. And and actually, I had to um, go shop around and find my own uh, placement, Mm -hmm. which is how I ended up working with people with brain injuries. Um, I went back to a a place I had been successful as a volunteer and said, hey, can you take me on? And unfortunately, that's a student practicum. Often the way we have to do it in many situations in life where things aren't getting don't often get done you know, from other people. So we have to kind of step up and, and do things ourselves. And that can be quite exhausting sometimes, but it's sometimes to get exactly what, what you want is, is that's, that ends up being the best way. Um, and I just, I also really do think you're, you're mentioning of, of going in full, full force with all the courses and then looking back that you would have dropped a couple. I can just, I can always really relate to that. Cause I think it was the same in my schooling where of course, in an ideal world, I'd love to be at the exact same pace as everyone else. Again, but there's pressure there. the reality is that it's not, yes. not everything is quite as quick for, for me as it might be for somebody else and just also the stresses of, of being blind and dealing with that on top of going to school and you know your situation obviously not not the same as mine but still we're both dealing with different things and um, on top of everything else so I think it's that whole thing where we we do want to just fit in and be the same as everyone else but at the same point you realize after kind of looking back on things like in 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 uh, essence you would have gained more by or I am speaking from my perspective but I imagine maybe you could relate in some way is that you can almost get more out of things sometimes if you're not cramming and doing too many things at once because then you're... That is completely why I decided to not um, it, the expectation is that you do your practical work at the same time you're doing your academic load. Right. And I I just can't do that. Separate those um, out so that you're focused, I all your energy is focused on one of those. Exactly because there's no substitute for on-site supervision and practice um, with real clients. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to make the most of that experience and come out of it with, um, with enough hours uh, that I would be um, able to qualify um, obviously to, to finish the requirements of the degree and also for, um, the credentials. Yeah. Eventually you you do kind of, do you want to get to the finish line? Yes. But, um, more than that, um, what I found, um, I found an interest in some of my electives as well. I wanted to touch upon the grief and loss, um, was a, was an elective I had a chance to take. Mm -hmm. And I really think now that I'm as a counselor starting out, um, and, and trying to find a direction and a specialization of, of where I want my career to go. I can see myself doing grief work, not just with um, bereavement, so for people's um, handling death and and tragedy of of, um, mourning loved ones, but um, also um, the grief uh, that comes with losing vision or losing functionality um, in any other capacity. Um, So, uh, and when I did that course, I... I did my presentation on uh, grieving vision loss and what the transition is like, uh, the research around um, how the social, it's it's this idea that yes, the blind services are focused on giving pr- pragmatic solutions. They teach you how to use the white cane. CNIB they teach you how to use a computer. 
it's supposedly in it, um, but it doesn't it doesn't provide for the um, the transition um, of going from from sighted to blind or limited vision to less vision and and there's um what i found was interesting research um by um somebody named thurston out of um dundee ireland and um they actually liken they created a model for how to gauge a person's um readiness for uh rehabilitation and and help and um and it kind of mirrors the stages of kubler ross's um stages of grief um and which is very interesting, and and I and I see it how I went through this myself with um, with the loss of the the eye, um, and knowing that I have only one functional eye left. Um, the the stages kind of there's one to five where one is you know the diagnosis where it's you learn that you have an eye condition. Yeah, I don't know if people and are then familiar two, with. Yeah, this is. I'm going through Thurston's model now. I'm not going to do oh, okay. Kubler Ross's stages of grief. That's easy enough to look up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's it basically it's the denial, bargaining, acceptance. I've got them all over order here, but yeah, it's like your colors of the rainbow. It is. It is um, in the a memory trick. Um, yeah, it's in the literature, and it's also people. If you look up anything to do with grief, mm-hmm. it it comes up fairly easily. Um, it's the idea that if you have a condition that is um, almost invisible, um, you're you're not really ready. It hasn't hit you as a point of impact yet, how your vision loss is going to impact your life. Right. And so you may be less readily um, ready to take on the, the tasks of rehabilitation, like working with a white cane, working with a guide dog, working with... Um, yeah, other um, methods, uh, uh, blindness skills, so to speak. Um, you wouldn't be ready to take those on. Um, where and then once you've once the point of impact sinks in, um, then you're less resistant um, to to taking on this. Yeah, you you especially if you haven't. Once it sinks in, if you've got an outward sign of vision loss. Um, and the point of impact has sort of hit you, you're more likely to be ready to to um, to seek help. Yeah, um, and sometimes we could whole, do a whole do a segment whole on show that. On. That's the, this, that's and the, hopefully this, we we will. Yeah, discussion I definitely like wanted to get into here a bit, and you know we are we have about five minutes left well, that's on why today's I'd love program. To have you but back on just but because we only scratching the surface, right? Here. But I still think that is that yes is such an important area. Is this is this the the you know all these things we talk about here on this show and different ways of learning these blindness skills but we don't we don't touch enough on the mental um, state and what people are going through while they're learning these skills and that yeah you it's yeah. not always the best method to kind of throw someone in right away if they're still trying to to deal with like the grieve the the loss of of their vision and even even terms like vision loss like there's a lot of discussion around the word like oh it makes it such yes. a negative thing but at the same point it is a loss for some people too. So I think it's a tough balance to say, oh no, like we're going to be, the word blind is, you know, it's a prideful thing. We want to make it a good thing. We don't want to make it such a negative thing. But at the same point, we can't be totally unrealistic and just say that, oh, it isn't, you know, because I, I don't think we maybe, we don't discover that area enough. So I really think it is an interesting area that you're 
you're looking to get into. And, you know, I definitely wish you luck in it. And I yeah. kind of hope sort of what, what are your, you. your plans going forward and what are you kind of thinking for for the future and, and just something have it. Something with well, grief. I, I yeah, know. something tying into all that, I would imagine. <laughs> I'm thinking... I'm thinking I'd like really to to take my lived experience as, as a, a, a um, blind um, person, a, a blind counselor, and and use my lived experiences of going through you know um, a traumatic loss and um, ha- living uh, having adapted all my life and be able to to work with clients who um, are struggling with that um, adaptation and and. Um, feeling um a, a better sense of themselves um and adjusting to um to their life um post post loss um obviously the goal is to be paid for that work and i have made connections so. with with uh, vision loss rehabilitation canada and the cnib and um obviously the i hope to continue being involved with the Canadian Federation of the Blind and even the Pacific Training Center for the Blind um, as they um, build up their capacity. So um, there's there's different um, avenues I could take. Um, I also hope to do some consulting work for the university or even find a, a full-time right. position there. Right, since you said there. some of the boards you've been on, I just thought if you could do something back through them. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot that need a lot of training and awareness that still needs to go right. ahead um, in, in even around like career services. Um, right, yeah. They, they don't have anybody at, at, that's knowledgeable enough to, who understands what it's like for persons, jo- job seekers that are disabled um, and the challenges that they face and barriers. Um, you have to go outside of the university to get that, um, that knowledge and get, to access those um, supports. Um, So as somebody who has uh, graduated and is entitled to university um, career services, it would be nice to keep it in-house. And I think that's an area where the university could really excel if it wanted to. Um, Absolutely. And wow. (laughs) So that's kind of... You've gone through a lot. And uh, it's... Hours. A Slumber. bit of a mishmash, I think. Yeah, kind is, of. And that's um, like everybody, not so many people's lives are like that, um, Kyla. And so, like I said, we hope you um, enjoyed coming on with us today and that you come back to talk about where you go from here because I see all the <laughs> possibilities. You just have to yes. see where it should go. Yeah, it's, it's always the, in, the, the hard part I find is you, you're going to school, so then you have that focus. So it's like, oh, this is, this is great. I have something I'm doing. But then once you're done, then it kind of, you're back to that. I mean, you've gone through the schooling, which is awesome, but then it is, yeah. it's a tough time, I think, to, to search things out. So I I do you wish you luck in all of that. And I think, you know, Thank it's, you. it's like, they say for everyone, you know, you have to submit hundreds of resumes before you hear back. And mm-hmm. I think if you're blind and stuff, it's even more than that. So it's just, it's such a, it's still so difficult out there, I think, to... It's a slog, you might use for, for anyone, but then it especially really for us, it's... really is about convincing an employer to take a chance on you. If if I had a theme song, it should be ABBA's Take a Chance yeah. on Me. <laughs> great. Well, I'm, too bad we didn't have that queued up. We could yeah, have no, really great. Right it's in. okay. We can no put it worries. under for the podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Kyla <laughs> Barry, for coming on Outlook today and chatting with all about all of this with us on Outlook. Have a wonderful day. Thanks. Send us an email. Outlook on radiowestern at gmail.com. 
find us on Twitter at OutlookCFB and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western.